Let's go to Mark chapter 1. This is the source of our gospel reading this morning and continuing our journey in the the Christian lectionary for the calendar year. And when you walk through these the lectionary readings, you're walking through the life of Christ. We're essentially preaching the Jesus story. And that's my favorite story in the world is preaching the Jesus story. He's, he's who we follow. Uh, one of the things that we talk about, I don't, I don't frame it in these words every week, but I'm saying it every week. And I probably need to be clearer and frame it in these words every week. Um, we're not Jesus admirers. We're Jesus followers. There's a difference. It sounds like semantics, like just wordplay, but it's really not. Jesus admirers can admire the qualities of Jesus from afar. They can aspire. They can say, in my better days, I'm, this is what I'd like to be. Jesus followers put their foot where he put his foot. They step where he stepped. They do as he did. We don't watch from afar, wishing we could be. We step into the fray. We step into the struggle. We follow because he goes into darkness and valleys and wildernesses and baptisms and death. And we do too. We step into wildernesses and struggles and valleys. If we were admirers, we'd wait. We'd watch him go in, and we'd watch him come out the other side and say, wow, I'd aspire to be that. That's that's a good man. Boy, we wish the world were more full of that. And the world is full of admirers. They're full of people who see the best example and wish it, and then just move on into whatever it is we wanted to do or would have done had we never encountered the one we admire. But you can't do that and be a disciple. Because disciples are invited to follow Jesus. And when he walks into a wilderness, we're invited into the wilderness. And when he goes and picks up his cross, we're invited to pick up our cross. All of the things he does, we do, not because we're trying to replicate him or we're hoping to become like him, but because we found the only thing worth following. It's better than all other things we can follow. And so we follow it because it is bigger than us and better than us. And we aspire, but we don't just admire. We walk it out. Messages like Mark chapter 1 verse, and I want to emphasize 9 to 13 today. And we'll reread it even though it's been read. I'll read it for those who might watch or listen elsewhere down the road so that they'll have a basis for this gospel message. But Messages like this require something of disciples. Watch what I mean. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan and immediately coming up from the water he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven and said, You're my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately, there's an immediately in ten, There's an immediately in 12. Mark has a sense of immediacy. We're moving with Jesus. There's not lag. There's not a lot of thought. There's move. We follow as disciples follow. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days. Tempted by Satan. 
and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. I'll limit the reading to there. I, I want you to see how there's a, there's a lot asked of you. Jesus goes to be baptized. You got to humble yourself to be baptized because you're submitting to the water. You're submitting to death. You're entering into death so that it washes away what you were so that you can come out of the water as a representation of who you are. John rightfully says to Jesus in another gospel, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. John recognizes you got nothing to wash away. I'm the one who needs dunked. And yet Jesus says, no, this is the way it's going to be to fulfill all righteousness. And why is that? Because Jesus is inviting you into the river and you're going to need dunked. In other words, you're going to need some old you washed away. You're going to need some pieces of you left beneath the surface. And since you need it, he needs it. And since he does it, you do it. You ever wondered why is Jesus baptized? He has no sins. He's baptized because you have sins. Because I have sins. Because I have a past. And I have problems. And I have pieces of Paul that need to stay underneath the surface of that water. And a new me come out of that water. And therefore Jesus goes in and invites me in. Okay, you can't admire. You can only... That's watching from the shore. Admiration is watching from the shore. Discipleship is walking into the water. So I can't admire his baptism. I got to participate in it in order to come out the other side. And when I come out the other side, it's not party time. I got saved. That's all there is to it. That's the day I accepted Jesus. Well, that's a good, that's, you can party a little bit on that, but we're not done. We keep walking. Where does he go next? Immediately, he's led of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And why does he need to go into a wilderness to be tempted of the devil? Because you're going to go into a wilderness to be tempted of a devil. And so Jesus goes into a wilderness to be tempted of the devil because it's exactly what's going to happen in your life. You're going to face dry places and hard places and death places and dark places. And you're going to face off with demons. You're going to face off with the snakes in your life that slither in the darkness and in the grass of your soul and rear their ugly heads and try to bite you and make you offers and make you temptations and draw you away. And because you're going to face those, Jesus steps into the wilderness to show you how. Again, you can't admire him in the wilderness. It won't do you any good. You got to follow him so that you can be close enough to listen to what he has to say when the snake talks to him so that you can see the pain and the angst and the offers and the issues. That's discipleship is walking this out with him. We've entered into Lent in the Christian calendar, the global Christian calendar. This is the first Sunday of Lent. This is the season that leads us all the way up to the passion, all the way up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the church has celebrated Lent for centuries as a way of honoring, to some respect, as a way of honoring Jesus' journey into the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness where he spends 40 days fasting. Fasting, of course, is without food. And this causes a great amount of physical suffering and stress to the point that another gospel account tells us that after he had fasted 40 days, the devil shows up which of course he does because the enemy shows up when you're at your weakest, not when you're at your strongest. And so when the enemy shows up at that weak point in Jesus, when he's completely depleted, uh, that's when the showdown begins. Lent has been observed by much of the church world as a recapitulation of that inside of each of us in which people surrender something for 40 days in order to participate in the suffering of Jesus. And 
they surrender some of the things that they eat, maybe for a whole day or for two whole days in a week, or they surrender the types of foods that they eat, and they only eat certain foods on certain days. I've never had a spiritual revelation of Lent in that way, just to be very honest with you. In fact, I've had the opposite because I've, I've come up in so many circles of religious constriction and performances. You need to do this in order to be saved. You need to do that in order to stay saved. You need to do this in order to get the Holy Spirit. You need to do that in order to be anointed. You need to do that in order to keep your anointing to the point that, of just religious exhaustion. Toxic religion sucked the life out of so much of my Christian experience for a while that the very thought of a forced asceticism for 40 days, to me, gives me a bit of religious PTSD. And it, it concerns me to the point that I wouldn't want to put it in front of you lest you think that I'm offering you some sort of Christian ceremony by which if you participate, God will bless you more. God will do more for you. And so I don't, as, your pa- as the pastor of the garden, I don't bring us into the season of Lent to throw things on you. I've also noticed it, it can also, it can quickly become the right hand, a case of the right hand knowing what the left hand's doing. What are you giving up for Lent? Becomes a challenge of personal responsibility in a corporate setting in which you are now accountable to do the thing you promised you would do. And, but I, I say all of that not in any way trying to step against a large portion of the church who's observing Lent. I actually can see the practice as having great spiritual benefit in that I voluntarily give something up for a season of my life that I don't want to give up so that I can force myself to see what it would be like to suffer without something I love. And that maybe in that, I can relate to those who suffer against their will. Because people do. Some of you are suffering against your will right now in one area or the other. You're in your own Lent. (laughs) You're in your own wilderness. The difference is you don't get 40 days. You might get 40 years of it. You might get 40 weeks of it. You might get 40 minutes of it. I don't know. There's no clock on suffering, right? Sometimes it's just, it doesn't end. And sometimes it ends and it comes and goes in spurts. And I realize the season of Lent is so that we all experience it to some point. That we all say, okay, I got a taste of it. And we kicked that off with Ash Wednesday, which was last Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday, of course, is remember you are but dust. It's the burning of last year's palm fronds and taking the ash and marking the cross on the head of the recipient so that they are reminded that to dust they return. And, and, I, and I think it's an honorable ceremony and understanding that I am but human in my frame, but that I am more than human in my spirit, that I'm alive. All right? I wanted to address, I wanted to speak of those things, and I wanted to make it clear. I wanted to articulate where I stand, not against but not setting on some sort of revelation that I want to step the garden into in this season. So I will, I'll stop that portion by saying this. If you've had a revelation of Lent as a space in which you, you believe that there's something you could lay down in order to voluntarily lay down in order to maybe participate a little bit in what it would be like to suffer in an area where you're not suffering, then you go with that. 
and you go in Jesus' name with it. I would implore you not to turn it into access by which you achieve the anointing or God favors you or he blesses you more because you're not paying a price in order for God to love you, in order for God to forgive you. But if there are issues in your life and you feel as if, then you listen to the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, with all of that said, let's enter the wilderness with Jesus. Because he goes in. And this is the Sunday that we honor that in Christian circles because last week we were at Transfiguration where a voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Stop listening to the voices of Elijah, stop listening to the voices of Moses and start listening only to my son. And in case you don't listen to that, I'll take the rest of them off the field and there's only Jesus. Well, now we step into the moment where we hear God say it the other time, which is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's Jesus coming out of the waters of baptism and hearing a voice from heaven. One gospel says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Another gospel says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It doesn't mean God says it twice. I think it means that the crowd hears it one way and Jesus hears it another. Have you ever noticed that's how preaching is? The crowd hears one thing and you hear another. The crowd hears a sermon and you hear a word. Sometimes that's what happens. Like you hear a word you need. The rest of the, it wasn't for everybody like it was for you. That's the difference in this is my beloved son and you are my beloved son. I will say to you that if you want to go into the wilderness with the best possible equipment, personalize the love of God. Okay? Because it's corporate to say God loves all of us. It's personal to say God loves me. It's corporate to say God forgives everyone. It's personal to say God forgives me. So a revelation of my personal identity is more important than my revelation of a corporate identity because I can cheapen the corporate identity. Go, oh, yeah, God loves everybody. That's easy. God loves everybody. But I can't cheapen God loves me, not if I really believe it, not if I've really had a revelation of it. So Jesus, knowing he's the beloved son, by the way, knowing he's the beloved son, not based upon his performance because he hasn't done anything. He hasn't healed the sick. He hasn't walked on the water. He hasn't fed the hungry. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't done anything that we see in Jesus admirable, admiring. He hasn't done anything even to call discipleship at this point. He's Jesus of Nazareth, baptized in the Jordan. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased, which tells me that God's pleasure isn't based upon how I act or what I do, but who I am. And so I want you to know today that God is not being pleased because you showed up at the garden. And God goes, oh boy, I'm going to give them a good week. They, they showed up at the garden and I'm going to bless them this week because they, they showed me that they're serious. God isn't waiting. He's not a slot machine. Church attendance, ching Put money in the offering, ching Pray, pray during group prayer. You know, I'm going to read, be the Old Testament reader. Uh, God's going to bless me. And the, someday these are all going to line up and I'm the, my jackpot's going to hit. No, it's better than that. It's way better than that. It's God saying, I love you in spite of yourself. I forgive you in spite of yourself. I'm, I'm pleased because you're you, because I get to breathe the air you breathe. This is how you feel about your children. You're pleased because they're yours. You get to breathe their air. You get to be in their room. That's the Father with us. And so Jesus takes that identity and he steps into a wilderness. And he does that because we step into the wilderness. 
Christianity is not a call. It's not a call to, discipleship is not a call to a life full of pleasure and favor and nothing ever goes wrong. It is a call to follow Jesus and he goes, because we go, into darkness, into the low area, into dry places. And that sometimes things are not so great. So we're baptized into our identity. Please know I'm not only talking about water. I'm talking about the re-immersion every week of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to drown you guys in that every week, man. That's immersion. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptize means immerge. Our job is to immerse you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm trying that every week. I'm going to dip you down into the cool water of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that whatever you isn't real about you is going to... Begin to lay there. And I'm going to keep trying to dunk you every time I can so that the what isn't you lays down. And if it didn't lay down this week, we'll dunk him again and maybe he'll lay down next week. <laughs> and whatever's not real about you, we keep emerging in the knowledge of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we start there and then we walk in our identity. I know I'm a son. I know I'm a daughter. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm loved. And we take that information into the wilderness. What happens in the wilderness? Well, it's dark and it's wild. Mark says there's wild beasts. Jesus is hungry. He's thirsty. It's depravity personified. But what really happens in the wilderness is a temptation. Now, Mark's version doesn't give this to us. So we'll have to borrow some of Matthew And we will in a moment. I want to just go through them. I don't want to read each one of them for sake of time, but I want to remind you that Jesus is tempted. Hebrews says he's tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. We don't see every temptation known to man in the wilderness, but we do see three. And the three temptations we see are Jesus is tempted to turn stones to bread because he's hungry. And the enemy says to him, turn these stones to bread. And Jesus, of course, responds with, as it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's then taken to a high place. And he said, he's told to throw yourself down because as the scripture says, if you will, if you fall, the angels will catch you lest you dash your foot against a stone. And of course, Jesus says, we don't tempt God. That's not how... Thus it is written, we don't tempt the Father. And then finally, the temptation is to fall down and worship Him. Meet me there in Matthew chapter 4. I want to read for you that third one because this is the one I really want to, that I think locks us in on, on a pattern for life that Jesus invites us into. Matthew chapter 4, verse number 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I want to present to you this morning that what I believe the wilderness temptations are doing are there's a lot of things we can say. There's a lot of principles for life that we can talk about, like turning stones to bread is Jesus doing the thing that's most convenient instead of the thing that's most important. It's most important to listen to God, but the most convenient things to turn stones to bread. And you can't live your life only doing the easy. Okay, that's a good principle. We could preach that, live that. That that would work. 
Um, Jesus is offered the chance to throw himself off of the building. Um, and he could start his ministry with the miraculous. What better way to start your ministry than the miraculous? Man, if you throw yourself off a building and you don't get hurt, people are going to buy everything you have to say, right? But once again, it's sort of Jesus going the easy. It's the divine route instead of the human route. Humans don't get to do that. We just get to throw ourselves off of buildings and then live to tell the tale. So Jesus would be non-human. He would be stepping outside of the wilderness you face. And so Jesus, of course, can't walk into that. So there's all kinds of stuff we could say. That's a whole sermon right there. You could, do, you could do an hour on that. And you'd have a lot of good tributaries and stuff you could say, little roots, that, little, little streams that would touch all these different areas of your life. We never exhaust the wilderness stories, is my point. You'll never exhaust them. I'll preach them to you. If we're here long enough, you'll hear, I'll, I'll, I'll say them every way I can say them. But every time you dip back in, you've got to watch to hear what you think the Holy Spirit wants to say in that moment. And what I see as a collection in these is... Satan offering Jesus a chance to do something that will resurface again and again in his life. Three temptations in the wilderness, and he'll face this three times in his life, tells me that I'm on to something. And what we're on to there is that the wilderness is a chance in every situation for Jesus to circumvent the cross. It's a chance for Jesus to live this out without going to the cross and dying. Because who wants to die? Death isn't success. Death is considered a failure. If you want to be Messiah over a people and restore them to glory and bring the kingdom of God, you can't die and do it. This had to be on his mind from day one because every story of every Jewish deliverer that Jesus was raised hearing, they they die martyrs' deaths, but they die it in battle. They die it leading their people to glory. They pick up swords and they go fight the enemy. And there's no more honorable way to die than in service of king and country. To die in, in, in service of the thing you believe in. And so every temptation in the wilderness is another chance for Jesus to get to the end without the cross. You see, what makes us a marked people, what makes us different in this faith is that our God died. Like we, we stepped into a faith in which we're following our God who died and then raised from the dead. He didn't just vanish. He didn't just conquer. He didn't just win. He didn't just promise he would win. He died. He stepped into death. He stepped into failure. And then he came back from the dead. He came in a newness of life. And that's what we're being invited into. And the cross looms large in every area of our life. I have icons of the cross and of crucifixes to keep your focus and your mind on the visual of the cross. But the fact that we put these up here is an impressive thing to say the least because they're instruments of death and execution. Criminals and vagabonds died on crosses that would be like putting up electric chairs or hangman's nooses or gas chambers or needles of lethal injection and honoring it. We've lost that because 2,000 years the cross has become something beautiful because we know how it ends. But in Jesus' day to go to a cross. Now there's going to be more said in this lectionary season about the cross. I don't want to get too 
wound in the cross itself, but I want you to notice the temptations in relation to the cross. Turn the stones to bread. Jesus says, take, eat. Tears bread in half. Slides the bread across the table to his disciples. Take, eat. This is my what? Body. Broken for you. His bread, his body is our bread. When Satan offers him the chance to turn the stones to bread, the cross will turn Jesus' body into bread for all of us. Bread is what we are to consume. The bread of heaven is our destiny. But not the bread created in the wilderness, but rather the bread broken at Calvary. Jesus is being given an opportunity to provide the world with food that didn't have to be torn out of his side. The opportunity to feed the world without dying for them. The opportunity to give bread to the hungry without becoming hungry. And if you give bread to the hungry without becoming hungry, you give it out of pity rather than compassion. Only the man who's been hungry that gives bread to somebody hungry can do it with compassion. When you give bread to someone who's hungry and your belly is full, you do it with pity. And if you do things with pity long enough, you begin to do them with resentment. Because you begin to resent that they can't do it for themselves. And most of us who are resentful of those who can't do for themselves are resentful from a place of having it all. And so Jesus has to empty himself of everything so that he knows what hunger is like. So that he knows what it feels like to hurt. And he can't take the shortcut of providing bread that way. He needs to die because we're all going to go face death. And so the cross becomes the place by which Jesus pulls from himself and feeds us. The second one, throw yourself down. The angels will catch you lest you dash your foot against a stone. Paul would tell the Corinthians that Jesus was a stumbling stone of offense and that those who refused to accept him would be crushed beneath that stone. The cross is a stumbling stone of offense. It crushes whatever in us needs crushed. We die when we go face that cross. Jesus in the wilderness is offered the chance to jump off of a cliff and not hit the bottom, not crush, not die, not crash and burn. And yet the cross is crashing and burning and Jesus refuses. He refuses to live a life in which he's never crushed. Wouldn't it be easier to live a life in which you're never crushed? And yet Jesus walks into the wilderness and is given the chance to live a life in which he's never crushed. And he says, I can't do that. Do you know why he refuses it? Because not just because he's going to the cross, but because you're going to get crushed. Because something in your life is going to steamroll you and knock you over. And Jesus steps into it so that he will be steamrolled, so that he will be knocked over. Then the cross becomes the way in which Jesus endures the shame of being steamrolled. To jump off the cliff into the miraculous is to avoid the crushing of the cross. He can't avoid the crushing of the cross. And then there's the one we read. Fall down and worship me. Now, this is the ultimate circumvention of the cross because as far as I can tell, this is Satan saying to Jesus, this is all mine and you and I can bring it into God's kingdom. My brain's in your brawn. How about it, Jesus? Let's team up. Bow knee to me is not just worship, but it's link up with me. Because when you bow knee to something, you link up with it. 
you believe in its cause and you become part of it. Satan invites Jesus into discipleship. Let me show you how I conquer worlds. Let me show you how I rule kingdoms. Join me in it. And the temptation to join Satan in ruling his kingdom never ends. All the way up to the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter pulls his sword and cuts off the servant's ear. That's the sword of the enemy. That's Satan's kingdom. He swings it to bring about control and authority. And Jesus says, put your sword away. That's not the way we do things in dad's kingdom. I was offered that a long time ago. I turned it down then, I'll turn it down now. Live by that sword, you die by that sword. I don't join forces with the enemy. This is why I keep saying to you, I don't care what your eschatology is. I don't care how you think this all comes to an end. Because there's 50 ways people want to fight about how that all comes down. And I'm not going to fight at all with you. But I will fight this. If the Jesus you have coming back doesn't look like the Jesus that left, you're straight up wrong. (laughs) So if the Jesus that comes back has to borrow the tricks of the devil when he gets here and slit throats in order to bring people into the kingdom, you've lost your way because Jesus didn't go to heaven and then watch for 2,000 years and go, you know what? That Rambo stuff works. Man, if I'd have tried that the first time I was there, we'd be running the show by now. I'll just go down there. And I'll just kill a bunch of people. And that'll convince the rest of them that I'm a good God. (laughs) And you go, well, that's silly. Nobody believes that. Are you sure? I mean, I've been in a lot of Christian circles in which we can't wait for somebody to get what's coming to them. And can't wait to get what's coming is a Jesus that went up there and went, you know, the devil wasn't so wrong anyway. I'll just borrow his tools, but I'll do it right. And if your idea is we could use the weapons of the world in good people's hands, you don't understand the weapons of the world. Like, I'll take a a strong arm as long as it's my strong arm. I'll take a dictator as long as it's my dictator. I'll take a ruler as long as it's my ruler. As long as they think my way, I'll take them because we'll do good in the world. And that's the opportunity the devil gives everyone to go pick up what I'm good at and we'll put it with what you're good at and man will be really good at it. And Jesus says, thou shalt worship no one but the Lord your God. And this is a chance to circumvent the cross because Jesus is going to get it all at Calvary. But to get it all, he has to die. He has to become the ultimate loser in order to become the ultimate winner. Now, I told you, don't admire Jesus only. Because if you only admire him, you go, boy, that's something. That Jesus would become the ultimate loser to become the ultimate winner. No, I told you, you can't admire. I told you, you're a disciple. Disciples follow. So he invites you in. I've been saying this for a while. I think if we... I think if we had a revelation of what Jesus was actually inviting us to do, a lot fewer people would have decided to follow Jesus than are in the church. Because Jesus is actually inviting us to step into his death, to die to the old us, to die to our way of doing things. That's his invitation. He's not, he didn't just give it to you on the Sunday you got saved, by the way. He gives you that invitation every time you talk to him. He keeps inviting you in. He keeps inviting you, come follow me. As Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, the invitation from Jesus is come and die. You know, there's that invitation at the end of John where Jesus says, come and dine. But really, the invitation is come and die. It's Jesus going, come here. Watch how I do it. Step into my death. We'll walk into this together. 
Now, I want to head towards the close, and I know you're thinking, man, it's been long this morning. How, how, how is he going to do the close? Well, I don't know. I mean, we may be here another hour, but I just wanted to tell you that I'm aware. I told you Jesus faces three temptations of the wilderness, but Jesus faces what I think are essentially the same, the same thing, which is circumvent the cross. He faces that three times in his life. He faces it from the devil. He faces it from humanity, and he faces it in his own soul. Now, some things that you face in this world are most certainly the forces of darkness. It's the enemy. It's whatever you call the demonic or the devil. It's the things that are in the realm of the spirit and they're attacking you. That happens. The other, there's another one. And that's people around you. That's stuff. That's the way people talk to you. It's the way people treat you. Now, we sometimes we spiritualize that and go, that's a devil using them. Okay, if that... If you want to do that, fine. But the reality is, is you can see them. Like you can, you can name them. You can see their eyeballs. You can hear their, the sound of their voice. And they're doing things against you. That's the natural world coming at you. And then there's a third one. And the third one's the hardest of them all. Because the third one is that little voice that's you. That's inside of you. That's you being your own worst enemy. That's you and your disquieted soul. That's your emotional state. That's the you that no one sees but you know is real. That's the voice inside your head. And you can call that the devil, and you can call that the Holy Ghost, but for purposes of this illustration, it's you. It's got your name on it. It's got your memories, your thoughts, your desires, your heart. And you fight it. And you resist or you don't. Jesus faces all three. We saw the wilderness. That's the darkness of the enemy going, how about this, how about this, how about this? You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to break your body to feed the world. Just... Turn stones of bread. You don't have to go through all of this rejection. Just jump off this cliff. Everybody will accept you. You don't have to do things the way the cross will bring it to you. Just do things the way that it's more expedient. Do it the way it's more fun. Do the, <laughs> follow me. And Jesus has to resist. But I, I present to you that's probably, of, of all of his temptations, the ones against the devil are the easiest. It gets harder when it becomes people. Matthew. Chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. He lays it out, man. Hey, I'm going to die. Let's go. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Peter thinks he's being super spiritual. And he thinks he's doing the right thing because you don't want your leader to die. I'll protect you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, was Peter possessed of the devil here? So this is where we get into the weeds and we, we miss the forest for the trees because we start trying to answer theological questions that Jesus isn't asking. Don't worry about if possessed of the devil. Don't worry. about What we should be concerned with is here's someone who's close to you. Here's someone who is real, physical, in our life. And the opportunity, Jesus faces this opportunity to step away from the cross because of the shame and the embarrassment that the cross brings. To follow Jesus in a different pattern, in a different way, because it's going to cause some embarrassment 
and some shame within our circle. This is harder because we let people down. Following Jesus isn't always easy because people want to go a different direction. And sometimes they even rebuke that discipleship. We're facing this in an amazing and in a peculiar way in our nation, even right now. The very argument of what it means to be a Jesus follower. I mean, we are the people of God fighting over all kinds of things masked as political issues or ideological issues that I wonder sometimes if they're not political or ideological issues, I wonder if they're emblematic of much deeper spiritual issues that are just surfacing as political and ideological fissures, issues. I'm not here to tell you what answer to give. I'm here to show you that following Jesus might cost you in an era where some will tell you this is what it looks like to follow Him. There will always be an alternative way to follow Him. And that alternative way and that way don't always, aren't always compatible. You go, well, which way is the right way? And this is why... This is why I beg you, this is why I implore you to spend time with Jesus. To spend time with Jesus on your personal life, your personal day-to-day, so that you get a sense of the heartbeat of the Father as expressed through the Son. So there doesn't have to be mass confusion when you walk this out, but that your life can not just be an admirer of Jesus in His best moments and accepting us in our worst but can be discipleship of following Him. That's His second, and that's when it comes from outside. And the third is when it comes from inside. Matthew chapter 26, and we'll close. Well, we'll close the Gospel reading. I'm going to read you one Paul passage real quickly. But Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went a little farther. For brevity's sake, I'm just reading the one verse. He went a little farther and he fell on his face and he prayed and said, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the exact same thing Jesus was offered in the wilderness. You don't have to drink from this cup. Just bow down. Just jump off this cliff. Just turn these stones to bread. You don't have to drink this cup. And in the, wild, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, the final battle is in his own soul. And Jesus looks at his Father and says, If there's another way. I'll choose the other way. But if there's not another way, I'll drink the cup you gave me. And we know what happens. He prays that same prayer three times. He finally goes to his disciples and he says, stand up, let's go. The time is at hand. Because after a whole night, after the dark night of the soul, after Jesus goes into the wilderness again, this is really what happens at Gethsemane, is he goes into the wilderness again, but he doesn't go into the wilderness to be tempted to the devil. He goes in the wilderness to deal with himself. Because we all have to go in to deal with ourselves, And when he goes in to deal with himself, he lays it out in front of his father. And he says, if there's another way to do this, I'll choose that. But if this is the way you choose, whatever you choose, dad, that's what I want to do. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And that's the ultimate test of discipleship. Is us facing us. Going, father, if there's a way for me to do this, show me. But if this is the way, that's what I choose. That's, that's the answer that I give. Because if, that's the, if, if I can only learn this through suffering, I know it's not you. You're not about to put me on the cross. But you can keep me off. But if the only way to do this is to go to the cross, then I'll go. You know what that's like for us? Father, you didn't make me suffer. But if the only way for me to get where I'm going is to go through this suffering, I'll drink the cup. If the only way for me to learn what I need to learn is to go through this hell right now. I'm in hell. 
and I got to go through it to get this answer, then not my will, but thy will be done. I drink the cup. I'm not blaming you for the hell. I'm not blaming you for the test. I'm not blaming you from the problem, but I'm putting it in your hands. I'm a disciple of the one who faced everything head on and who didn't pick up the instruments of his flesh to defeat it, but he listened to the voice of his father. That's what disciples do. And that's why Paul says this. We'll close here. Philippians chapter 3. Paul's a good place to close here because we're on the other side of the resurrection and we're dealing with a guy who has not only persecuted the church but is now being persecuted by both the church and his former religious heritage. And how does Paul frame it? I would recommend you read the whole third chapter of Philippians, but I'll read for you two verses, 10 and 11. Philippians chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means. Oh man, be careful when you pray that. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Hey, is there anybody that's in the Bible that knows Jesus any better in the realm of the Spirit than the Apostle Paul? I don't think so, man. This is as good as it gets. He sees him on the road to Damascus, right? And yet he has the nerve to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Most of us quit praying right there. Boy, Lord, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. Don't drop the next line. And the fellowship of your suffering being conformed to your death so that by any means I might understand what it means to resurrect. Jesus invites you in and in that invitation, you know, why, Pastor Paul, why are you saying all this? Because I know we're all going to suffer. And if you don't have a framework by which to suffer with Christ, you're going to think you're suffering without Christ. And the temptation is going to be to ask God, where are you? Why are you not here? Why aren't you helping me? But if you can watch Jesus go through suffering, you'll know that if Jesus goes through suffering, you're going to go through suffering. And that Jesus doesn't say to his father, why are you doing this to me? Don't you care about me? And yet it's the temptation we all have and then the temptation to borrow whatever equipment we can to get out of it. And yet Paul says, I want to know what it's like I want to know who he is. Would you bow your head with me? I, took an, I made an assumption today when I was, not today, this week, when I was studying for this message and preparing my heart for this, I made an assumption, and I know I'm right, although I didn't call anybody and interview them. My assumption was somebody would be bring some suffering in. <laughs> See, we're always right because we're human. People bring in suffering. We don't bring in the same suffering, but we bring in suffering. And as your heads are bowed, and I want you to just reflect. And I'm not asking you to glorify your suffering. But I want you to spot the wilderness in your own life. Some of, it, some of you, it's not very hard to find. You're in it. And you're in it deep. And there's issues, man. And that's okay. We're all on a journey. Some of you feel like you've just come out the other side of one. And you're in really good mood about it. And you can look back on it and say, boy, that was great. I've, I hated it at the time, but I've learned something. Well, praise God. I'm glad for you there too. I just want all of you to know whoever's in one, it's just a, it's a wilderness. It's not permanent. And for those of you that aren't in one, there's probably another one coming. And that's okay too. Because we're disciples of Jesus. And he stepped us in.
and we've entered into the waters of baptism and we're getting rebaptized. Father, right now I pray you rebaptize your children in a full emergence, immersion of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And we'll confess our Christian faith in a moment, Father, and as we confess it, we're just stepping back into the waters of baptism again. We're just stepping right back in saying, here's what I believe and here's why I believe it. And Father, may we have a true immersion of it and may it wash us off of our stuff. And Father, give us identity. When you baptize us, you say, this is my kid. So Father, I pray identity right now in this place. Sons and daughters know that they're sons and daughters, and I pray that they'll take that equipment and they'll walk it into the wilderness. And when the enemy questions whether they are who they say they are, may they realize they are who you say they are. They're sons and they're daughters. And yes, they can survive wildernesses because they're disciples. They're not admirers. They're disciples. Their Jesus walked into this wilderness. Their Jesus walks into this wilderness. And so they're not going to pick up the equipment of the enemy. They're going to bow knee to the system of the world. They're not going to give over to the ideology of the stuff around them. They're not going to circumvent joining you at Calvary. And Father, I pray we all have a revelation this week of joining you at Calvary. That a little bit of us go away so that a little bit more of us can live. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.